0: chapter 1. Guys in the back, don't go there. Let them follow on their Bible or their phone. Stay right where you're at, please. But I want to introduce you to the prophet Joel and then walk through it a little bit and then get to the passage I'm going to be preaching today. We're going through a sermon series called A Word from the Lord. Uh, Thus says the Lord, A Word from the Prophets. We're going through the Old Testament prophets and we're learning what they have to say for us. Today, Joel is a very important prophet. We're going to learn about him but before the karaoke screen comes up, I want you to work your word, get out your phone, your Bible, open up to Joel chapter one, and I want to introduce you to this prophet. This prophet was one of the first minor prophets of the Bible. He's like right around the time of Jonah. Jonah's technically the first, and then all the others come afterwards. So that means he's hundreds of years before what he's prophesying, the Babylonian captivity and all the negative stuff uh, coming to Israel. He's one of the first ones to tell them it does not have to be this way. So just look at Joel chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethiel, hear this, you elders, listen, all you who live in the land, has anything like this ever happened in your day? Or in the days of your ancestors, tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. And then now he begins to talk about the judgment of God. He says, What the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have have eaten. Verse 5 Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, are you drinkers of wine? Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. A nation has invaded my land a mighty army without number. He's talking about this hundreds of years before it happens. Just like Jesus a- accurately predicted the temple of Jerusalem would be destroyed 40 years before it happens, these prophets are predicting hundreds of years of beforehand that the land is going to be destroyed. But God is giving them a chance. He doesn't want them to be destroyed. Go to chapter 1, verse twelve, uh, verse 13. Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you, min- you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister. Before my God, for the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. He's being very clear with them cry out. Now go to chapter 2. Chapter 2. Now you can put this up, sir, please. Chapter 2, verse 12. We're going to work our way into the passage, which is in verse 28 of chapter 2 of Joel, but I want you to see verse 12. The prophet says, by God speaking, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Look at verse 14. Who knows, you got to put it up on the Bible, sir Who knows, he may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing Grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God We see here that Joel is prophesying Judgment is coming But he's saying to them, repent You can stop this You can prevent this Go back to verse 12 so they can see it, please You have something to do about this. Now let me ask you a question. Do we live in a similar time right now? How many years do you think we are before America starts to get judged severely by God? Before enemies start to invade, before our borders start to fall apart, before our leaders start becoming treacherous and dividing the nation, how far away are we from another civil war or from another Pearl Harbor or another 9-11 or those things all at once? How far away? 50 years? 100 years? Not that far. It could happen even in your lifetime. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to see that God's hand has lifted off of our nation and that judgment will come because we deserve it and start to repent and ask God from the white house to your house for holiness and righteousness to reign, or are you just going to sit back and say, well, I don't see it. It doesn't matter to me. I'm not getting judged right now. I mean, I still got a good job. I don't have any problems. You see, that's what's going on right here. Joel is prophesying, judgment is coming, and in the history of Israel, it's actually one of their most prosperous times. They have the most amount of money. They have the most amount of safety. They have the most amount of security. It looks like it would be impossible for this to go bad. As a matter of fact, they are so boastful that they show the other kings who are larger than them, they show them their temple and the temple of our God and all of the gold and the things that are in there. They show it off because they think to themselves, there is no way God is going to let this place be destroyed. I mean, haven't you heard the stories about God delivering the people of Israel out of Egypt? I mean, if God did that to that Pharaoh, he'll do that to you. We're not afraid of you. Come and look at all the gold of our temples. Look at all the places that we have here that God has blessed us with. You can't stop us. You can't bring us down. The Pharaoh couldn't even bring us down. That was their attitude. Very similar to us in America. Oh, we've won World War I. We've won World War II. You can't bring us down. There's no enemy that can take us down. We're going to keep prospering. We're going to keep being the baddest kid on the block. And God is saying, you have no idea how fast world empires can go down. Egypt went down. Roman Empire went down. The Babylonian Empire went down. The Persian Empire went down. Alexander the Great and the Greeks went down. The Ottoman Empire went down. The Chinese dynasties have gone down. You have no idea, my friend. England used to be a world power, has gone down. You have no idea how quickly a nation can crumble. All it takes is for the people to be divided against themselves and then for outside forces to take advantage of it. And then a people that used to be moral turning immoral, that immoral behavior is enough to erode the, 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 the heart of the nation. And so we're looking at that right now in America, aren't we? And so we got to do something about it. We can stop it. But they didn't. The judgment ended up coming. And, of course, the Lord knew about that. Go to verse 18. It says, then the Lord was jealous for his land and took pity on his people. Joel goes from the time of the prediction of judgment to what you can do to stop the judgment to, in verse 18 now, he's skipping ahead to what will happen now after judgment. This man is so prophetic. It is just Almost unbelievable. It's believable because I believe in a God who can do it. But in the natural, it is inconceivable to how he can be hundreds of years before the, before the event and call the entire thing out in just three chapters. They ended up being judged. They ended up going into captivity. They were there for 70 years. They lost their temple. The pagans took their golden uh, items of the temple and put them in their pagan temples, even used them to party with, to drink out of the places that they were supposed to drink with the cups and the, the, the ways that they would honor the Lord with their offerings and all of this. They used it to party with, their utensils in other words, and yet God did eventually bring them back. They did eventually rebuild the temple. And so he starts right here talking about how they're going to be rebuilt. And now let's go to the verse of, uh, let's go to the passage for today's message. The, The Bible then says he's going to pour out his spirit. So when Jesus was on the land of Israel, that is after the captivity and after the rebuilding of the temple. So according to Joel chapter 2, verse 28, this is after judgment. The people have resisted God, but now God is going to restore them back to the land and bless them. And one of the blessings that's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. Now look at what Joel said here. And afterward. Somebody say Afterward thank you. And afterward, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So that means after they get restored back to their homeland, a time period is going to pass by. That ended up being about 400 years, by the way. Just to put this in perspective, he prophesies a few hundred years before the captivity, and then he tells you what's going to happen a few hundred years after the captivity. He encompasses basically about like six, 700 years of human history in three chapters. He says, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your, women, your young men will uh, see visions, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens on earth blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon turned to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, even among the survivors whom the Lord calls. You want to know what just happened right there? 2,000 years of human history. How do I know that's 2,000 years of human history? Go with me to Acts. Acts chapter 2, after Jesus ascends to heaven, Peter begins to stand up and preach on the day of Pentecost after they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. He quotes Joel chapter 2 and he says, those last days begin now. So 2,000 years ago, those last days of Joel began. But how do I know it's still going on? Because we haven't seen the billows of smoke. We haven't seen the sun turn to black. And we haven't seen the Lord come back on that great and dreadful day. So then within a few, remember this, just before that, in a chapter and a half or you know, two chapters, he covers about you know, four, four to 500 years, excuse me, about 700 years. And then now in this passage, he covers about 2,000 years. How many know we gotta to listen to the prophets? Now go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, look at Peter beginning to preach, and then we'll work our way back to Acts chapter 1, but I want you to see it. Acts chapter 2, verse 14, day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit's been poured out. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. This is only nine, it's only nine in the morning. No, this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel about seven. Hundred years ago. Here it is. It's happening now. And what is happening? In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on how many people? All people. Your sons and daughters, just sons? No, your sons and what? Daughters will prophesy. So get this, everybody, that what Joel was doing, now everybody's going to do, even sons and daughters. Because he was prophesying back then, right? You guys tracking with it? Now everybody's going to prophesy. It says your young men will see vision, your old men will dream dreams. Sounds familiar, right? Peter quotes it from memory. Praise God for people who memorize the scripture. Even all my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. That's where we're at right now. And that's where we've been the last 2,000 years. What's the part we're waiting for? Right here. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth. Go back to the message, please, so they can see this. And I will show signs on earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you look at these notes that I have have right here Jesus prophesied in Luke 21 that there would be earthquakes and all of these signs happening and then Revelation 6 12 says that the sun would be turned to darkness and that it would be uh, the moon would turn to blood and that's not a natural occurrence you know just like sometimes we can see seasons of a blood moon and preachers try to make money off selling books about that this is literally the judgment of God happening a supernatural thing think about that now Think about that just for a second. Let's just just take this all in, man. This wonderful prophet, 700 years before Jesus, is giving the people of Israel so many nuggies that they're not even going to be able to experience it in one lifetime. Those nuggies, those golden nuggets of wisdom, not only go for those people, they're applying to us people right now. We are literally in the passage of what he said of the outpouring of the Spirit, But understand this, as I go back to Acts chapter 1 and show you how Jesus was preparing them for this outpouring, understand this, the Holy Spirit was not sent upon us so that we could feel better about our Christianity. The Holy Spirit is sent upon us so that we can be in-time prophets, so that we can be in-time preachers. So some of you here today are looking at the experience of the Holy Spirit in coming to a Pentecostal church like this where we relate to the day of Pentecost, the Jewish holiday when the Holy Spirit was poured out. We call ourselves Pentecostals because of that. So you're in a church like this, and you're basically coming like Jimmy to take all you can give me. And, and you're just like, it's all about me. I want to raise my hands and feel more of God's presence in worship. I want to feel more goosebumps. I want him to take away more of my problems. And that's cool because God does that. We pray for that all the time. But you're not understanding you're also supposed to be filled up with power to be a witness for God because the real judgment, the day of the Lord, that will make the judgment of the Babylonian captivity look like a McDonald's playland is coming. In comparison to what they went through back then, what we are about ready to experience now is going to be more intense by a thousand times. It was so bad during their times that they were starving, they ate their own children. We're already killing our own children. It was so bad during that time that the men were castrated and taken as slaves like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. At our time, there will be 200 million slaughtered in one battle, the Battle of Armageddon, and blood will be as high as a horse's head for over 100 miles. It is literally going to be a bloodbath on God's judgment day. And some of us have sat back, and let's just be honest, for those of us who grew up in church, uh, some of us sat back probably and read the book of Revelation, a bloodbath of uh, 200 million dying on that day, or uh, all these curses coming upon the people. And you've probably wondered to yourself, like, how could a God of love do so much tormenting things to his creation? Well, I think after now looking at politics and looking at abortion and looking at all the wickedness of this nation and what's going around the world, I think now you can understand why God starts sending down asteroids to blow this place up. I think you can understand why he turns a third of the oceans into blood. Do you not understand it? The blood of children will not be forgotten. It will come back on them, the Bible says, in their drinking water. Do you understand why judgment is coming in the book of Revelation? Can you get a picture of it? Just if not for the abortion, uh, the, the love of abortion among the wicked culture today. It's coming. But here's the thing. We are not supposed to freak out and not supposed to become bitter and become so angry with our enemies that now we want a unibomb an abortion clinic, or now we want to start having actual wars with people. We are supposed to be like the prophets who at that time spoke up, shouted aloud, and started trying to convert, to change, call to repentance as many people as they could. So we're believing in the end-time days that there's going to be an end-time harvest. But everybody get this. For there to be an end-time harvest in the end-time days, you have to confront end-time evil. You have to confront it. There is no way you and I are going to see people come to Christ in this culture without knocking down their idols. What are the idols that people have now? The idols of self. People worship themselves. I'm always on Facebook debating and dialoguing with them. And what is their ultimate arbiter? Who is the judge of their good and evil? It's them. It's them. It's not God's word because you can show them in God's word this is what God says. But then they still have a big but. They still have an argument. Why? Because they want to stand over judgment. They want to be the judge of the Bible. But let me ask you a question. If you're judging the Bible based on whether or not you think it's good or evil, then who's judging you on whether or not you're good or evil? Hello? You see, if this is not your standard and you're under it, and you're putting yourself over it, well, let me ask you a question. Who's over you? And then sometimes you'll hear them say, well, you know, humans are supposed to make up their own decisions. We don't need God. We don't need religion. Okay, so humans like Hitler who made up their own decisions, they were cool then, right? Oh, but then they say, well, you know, Hitler's different. You know, Hitler's, he was just a bad boy. You know, most times we can do pretty good. Oh, you mean like Stalin pretty good? You, you mean like China, 50 million deaths? Oh, you mean like that pretty good? Oh, no, no, no. We mean like Denmark pretty good. Like, you know, like the nation of Denmark. You mean the nation that we protected and kept from, from being invaded by Hitler and taken over in the world war? You mean those guys who get to do a social experiment for a few years? oh, yeah, uh, yeah, we want to be like Denmark. Well, here's the problem if you want to be like Denmark. If you're not going to fight against the people like Stalin and Hitler and China, you get taken over by them, and then you become just like them, and all the people who were protesting against that, they get wiped out, and now everybody has swastikas on their arms. You see, might will always be right until God's people stand up against it. If you think you're just going to walk away from God and say, well, we're just going to kind of design our own little moral utopia, someone that wants your moral utopia is going to come and take it from you because the world does not play nice. The devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy The reason why there's a few little nations here and there in Europe that can do whatever they want and get away with it is because we went to war and devastated nations that wanted to take over that whole part of the world. But if we didn't stop Russia, if we didn't stop Germany, if we didn't stop China, if we didn't stop Japan, just talking about our nation in this generation, those people would be ruling over them and you think the Dark Ages was bad, friends. You think North Korea is bad? That's what hundreds of millions of people would be living under right now. What do you think would have happened if we wouldn't have stopped Nazi Germany? What do you think? You think you would have just stopped and said, hey, everybody's got a choice, and I just want to let you guys have your choice. How do you get the evil out of men's hearts? How do you get the evil out of people's hearts Just you saying, well, I don't want to do evil. And if we just all get together, we can eventually get rid of evil. No, you can't. You can't get rid of evil unless you get rid of evil people. And guess what? They keep getting born in every generation. They keep getting born in every generation. Think about all these gangbangers right now. Were they born a million years, I mean, a thousand years ago in in the time of the, the great wars and all that? No, but they're living like it right now. They're living like they're in some tribal warfare. They've taken human history back a thousand years right now. I was watching a Facebook live video of a guy holding an automatic weapon doing a live video, and on the live video, he gets shot at and starts shooting up the block. Tribal warfare. The Bible said this would be like it in the end times uh, nation against nation, and that word nation literally means ethos, people against people. Culture against culture. So, how do we rid the world of evil if we're not willing to kill off everybody and try to try to you know become our own uh, utopian society and our own Hitler, our own Germany? We do it by the kingdom of God. Now, everybody, get this: the kingdom of God is just as much of violence as the non-world as the non-kingdom of God. As the kingdom of God is dark, uh, the kingdom of darkness is violent. We're just violent in a different way. Everybody get this. The Bible says about John the Baptist, John the Baptist was the greatest in the old covenant. And it says, up until the time of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. How many have ever heard that verse before? Okay, now what does that mean? Does that mean now we fight with weapons of warfare against flesh and blood? No, but how are we violent? We're violent like Ephesians 6 teaches us by casting down the demonic strongholds and we preach the word of God. So everybody look up at me, please. As much as they push towards us, we push back towards them. And we outdo them in righteousness. So as much wickedness as they are pushing and trying to have avalanche onto us, we push back onto them. Now, at this moment, what's the first thing that comes into everybody's mind, including mine? Uh, I mean, you may look at me and say, Joe, you're so much different than us. No, but listen, the moment I hear that I am responsible for pushing back the evil of this generation, I get the same questions, the same doubts, the same fears you guys do, and it could be basically summarized in this statement. I am not powerful enough, God, to push back the evil. I can't push back the evil of my culture, God. I am not strong enough to do this work you've put before me. There's too much wickedness. There's too much evil. God, how can I advance your kingdom, the kingdom that comes through the gospel? How can I do that when I'm so weak? Now let's go to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, I'm going to give you power. But everybody get this. It's a response to the question, when is the kingdom of God coming? Because those boys right there, Alfredo, they wanted God to judge the Roman Empire right then and there and end the whole thing. They wanted the kingdom of light to destroy the kingdom of darkness right then and there because the Romans, they were trying to build their utopia. The only problem with them building their utopia, Juan, is they just wanted to take your land to do it. You understand what I'm saying? And so the Jews had their land taken from the Romans that had taken it from the Greeks that had taken it from them. Now watch. They say to Jesus, let's go back up to say verse, go to verse 6. Say to verse 6, look at verse 6. Then they gathered around him, Jesus, and asked him, the disciples did right before he leaves, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? But hold on. If Jesus would have restored the kingdom of Israel, got rid of all the wicked people and brought the kingdom of God, which is the true utopian society, not the ones made by men in their wickedness, if he would have done that right then and there, what would have happened to the Gentiles? All non-Jewish people would have been lost forever. And what Joel prophesied wouldn't have came to pass. Because in Joel's prophecy, it says everyone who calls on the Lord is going to get saved. So now Jesus, he knows they're zealous. He knows that they want to be like John the Baptist, violent in their passion, tenacious in their passion for the kingdom of God. But he's got to explain first what's needing to happen, and that is the gospel has to go around the world. That is going to be the revolution that brings change. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Look at verse 8. But you will receive what? Power, Power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my conference attendees in Jerusalem, and you will be my Christian concert goers in Jerusalem, and you will be my number one best-selling authors. No, it says, and you will be my what? witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So hold on, everybody. The very thing we now put back on God and say, I can't bring this revolution. I can't bring this spiritual violence. I can't tear down the kingdoms of this world, this dark world. I'm so powerless. I'm so cowardly. I just want to be quiet in the lunchroom. I just want to be quiet at my college campus. I don't want to stand up and be heard on Facebook and social media. I just want to share cat pictures. Jesus says this, I have a solution. I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit and he's going to give you power to be my witness on Facebook. He is going to give you power to be my witness on your job. Now, how was John the Baptist a witness? The Bible uses him as the example of one of the most spiritually violent prophets of the Old Testament. And he is our starting point. The Bible says, in the kingdom of God, John the Baptist is the least. Because now in the new covenant, we have this kind of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The one that all the prophets were waiting for. This mass outpouring. But how was John the Baptist violent for the kingdom of God? He made trouble with the governor. He went right to Herod, the adulterous man that he was, and he picked a fight with him. And he said, You are wicked for taking your brother's wife. And they said, What you say, boy? What you say about me? Don't you know I'm going to take your job? Don't you know I'm not going to give you your benefits? Don't you know I'm not going to make you the the winner of this TV show or or let your business prosper? They threatened John the Baptist. But you know what he said? I will still tell you even louder and more clear. You're an adulterer. You're a sinner against our God. And they took him and they put him into prison. You want to know how John the Baptist died? John the Baptist died because the adulterous woman Hated him so much because he brought her conviction that she took her daughter and said to said, Go dance in front of your stepdad, shake your booty, turn him on, and when he is turned on, he'll he'll bless you with the request of whatever you want. And when he gives you that blessing of that request, you say what you want is John the Baptist's head on a platter. Y'all ain't even ready for this application. All the world's entertainers are dancing before the politicians, are dancing before the governors. All these people that you support and we support when we watch their movies. And what they are saying is shut down these Christians. Get them out of our business. Get them off of our Facebook. Block them from our YouTube. Get them off of our social media. And pretty soon, if you ever want to know how did human beings like us cheer in gladiator arenas for Christian people to be eaten alive by lions, all you have to do is let Lady Gaga, Oprah Winfrey, Hillary Clinton, all you got to do is let this world go about another 10, 15 years in their wickedness. And they'll say, I don't mind watching Pastor Joe get eaten by a lion. He's a bigot. He deserves it. Let's let let the lions eat him." And as a matter of fact, let's go get this church because that whole church over there we hear is bigoted too. Let's put them in the gladiator arena. How do you justify it? The same way you justify murdering unborn children in abortion clinics is the same way you justify a gladiator arena. When the Romans had no care for human life, they began to kill for whatever they didn't agree with. Because they couldn't win the battle of ideas. They couldn't discuss with the Christian face to face. Because every time they would, like Paul and Mars Hill, they would get their worldview rocked. They couldn't stand against the John the Baptists. So what they did is they said, let's kill them and let's kill them now. So let me ask you a question. I want to ask every single one of you in this place a question. Do you want the power of the Holy Spirit to have goosebumps one hour or two hours a week on Sunday? Or do you want to be filled with power to be a living witness and martyr for Jesus Christ? Go ahead and put up Bible Gate, uh, my Logos software and go to that scripture because I'm going to teach you what the word mit- witness means. The word witness is the same exact word for martyr. Go to that passage right there, Acts one. 1- Eight in my software, and I want to show them in the Greek. Let me ask you a question. Jesus said this. Answer it for me, please, everybody here, because I love you enough to tell you this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, pick up their, pick up their, pick up their cross, and what? What did they do to Jesus on that cross? Okay, let me ask you a question, 21st century Christians. You want to see the revival of the book of Acts? You want us to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You want to see God do signs and wonders? Are you willing to lay down your life for Jesus? That's it. There's no tricks up my sleeve as a pastor today. If you want to be a son or daughter that prophesies, you have to be willing to do what the prophets did. You have to be willing to lay down your life and say, it's not about me, it's about God's glory. Now, does that mean we live reckless lives? No. Does that mean... We just do whatever is offensive. No, the Bible says be as wise as serpents, as harmless as doves. So even during the time of the Babylonian captivity, Daniel and his friends were the most successful at that time. Even Joseph, during the time of being in Egypt as a slave, he was successful. So we don't give up our success. We don't allow the world to put us in a corner and make us uninfluential. But what we won't do is trade our influence for our God. Because we have power to be influential. And so in the kingdom of God, it's an upside-down kingdom. Those who are first will be last, but those who are last will be first. Those who admit their weakness become strong. Those who humble themselves get lifted up. Those who cry out for bread as being hungry beggars are the ones who get filled and get a key to the bakery. It's not the know-it-alls. It's not the mighty. The Bible literally says this in Corinthians. It's not the mighty. It's not like I look at Joe and I go, dude, Joe is so bold. Look how bold Joe is, man. I can never be like like bold like Joe. No, no, no. It's not like that. The The courage and the courageous living in this culture will really be seen on the ones among us who no one thought they would have a voice. Like the Rosa Parks who says, I won't move. I'm sitting here. It's like the Harriet Tubmans who say, I'm going to develop an underground railroad because I can't sit by and do nothing. It's like those from the hiding place and those who hid the Jews during the Holocaust. They said, we must lay down our lives to hide these children. Now go to the word witness. Right-click on it, please. Right-click. I want you to see this word right here. In the Greek, so that everybody can understand. What is that word up there? What is the word? Speak it out, class. Speak. I want every person speaking out. What is that word? Martyrs. Why is it people in the 21st century only think of martyrs being in other countries? And now, sadly, we only think of martyrs like Islam because they've taken that term. They're a martyr for their cause. They're a martyr for their cause, right? Right. Your Bible said a long time ago, you'll receive power to be that because the idea there of the witness is not a witness who just stands back and says, well, this is just my opinion. I mean, I don't know what your opinion is, but, you know, let's go. Once again, I'm not saying we force it on people. There's nothing in my words that I've said today we force it on people. And I've told you, and I want to make sure I'm clear here. Ephesians 6 says it's not against flesh and blood. But we have to stand up to the flesh and blood. Do you get it? When Hitler and all of them were doing their stuff, people had to go and fight wars and do that. But where was the power really at? It was at the ideology. It was the battle of the words. It was the battle of the mind. We had to convince the Germans after we destroyed their fear and all of that not to take back up that cause because it was a wrong cause. That's why years later when I had a friend from Germany spend time with me in seminary, he looks back on Hitler as a nincompoop. Why doesn't he want to rise up right now, rebuild the Aryan race, and become a, you know, a, a, a new Nazi? Because not only did we beat them physically, but we had to more importantly beat them mentally. We had to show them that their way was evil. I want people to look back on abortion the same exact way. I want people to look back on homosexuality the same exact way. I want people to look back on gangs the same exact way, corruption the same exact way, all of these things, that they will not look at it the same way anymore, not because we forced them into it, but because the power of the Holy Spirit was upon us and by our preaching, the kingdom of God, they were drawn to it. So get it. Go back to the passage. Thank you, sir, of Acts, Uh, to the notes, please. When Joel says the power of God is coming on us, who is it coming on? Sons and daughters. Go up, please. Sons and daughters. It purposely uses that language of son and daughters so that you can have the understanding. The passage, please, sir. So that you can understand the context. It's not kings and queens. You're supposed to see if it can come on sons and daughters, that means fathers can get it. That means mothers can get it, grandfathers can get it, that means politicians can get it, teachers can get it, nurses can get it, because what he does in this language right there is he shows humanity in in the sense of when we're born again, we become children of God. You're not a child of God unless you're born again. The Bible says you're under the authority of Satan, but he's saying here that as children of God, that's really all just what we are. We're all just sons and daughters. Before I'm a father, I'm a son of God. Before I'm a powerful pastor or preacher or speaker or author or doctoral student, I am a son of God. Before you are all of those things that you'll do in life and all these titles, your identity is a daughter. And the way you're supposed to see this is he gives it to sons and daughters. He doesn't give it to overachievers. He's not giving it to the goody two-shoes. He's not giving it to the ones who win the uh, debate contest. He's not giving it to the best orators or the ones who are the most courageous who say, I'll go skydiving or whatever. No, he he gives it to sons and daughters. You're supposed to get the image in your mind that this in-time outpouring is like a father coming giving out treats to everybody. That's what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 when he applied Joel's words. He says, this is the promise of the Father. Don't leave Jerusalem until you get it. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2 in the Bible, please. Acts chapter 2, what does it look like when the Holy Spirit came down on them? Were they willing to lay down their lives for Jesus? Yeah, bro, they just watched Jesus get crucified. Now they know he's resurrected, but he's telling them, I'm going to go leave, so if you want to go do what I'm asking you to do, you better get power. What do you think's in their mind if they just watch Jesus die? What do you think's going to happen to them? They're literally thinking to themselves, we're all going to our deaths now. We need this power to go be martyrs. Come on, guys. Does everybody get this? Let's put ourselves in their position just for a few moments in the book of Acts. Jesus has been crucified. The Roman government did not do anything to stop it, but rather did it and promoted it. Now they are threatened by all the people of the land, the Jews and the the Romans, and Jesus is saying to them, I'm about ready to go, boys, and guess what? The kingdom's not going to come with power and the the, the blood sky and and the billows of smoke. That's not coming yet, but what is going to come is the kingdom through your preaching And that's how you're going to do it. So guess what? You need some power to go be a martyr for my cause. And what happens in the book of Acts? They preach. They bring revival. And then what happens? They start dying. They start dying. Am I trying to have us look for a death wish? No. But I'm telling you, the worst possible scenario is just they send you to heaven earlier. Your disciples have already gone through. Your leaders have already gone through this. What, what, what are you afraid of? Come on, let's think about it. A few more minutes. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Because listen, if you let your fear stop you, you're going to have regrets in heaven. You're going to have regrets up there. You're going to say in heaven, man, I wish I wouldn't have let them make me so afraid. I wish I wouldn't have let them take away my courage. I wish I would have stood up for Jesus down here because some of you guys watch me on Facebook and these different things, and you might be thinking to yourself, man, pastor's gone off the handle. What am I supposed to do bearing the heart of God? I'm supposed to prophesy even if it costs me people, right? Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? Think about it. John the Baptist, if he just would have minded his own business, He would have been okay, Daryl. He would have had a mega church. All he had to do was just mind his own business. None of you, none of you here make your living off the church. I do. But I'm willing to put my church out there every single day and put my living on the line. How about you? How about you? Because people don't have to come here today, and they don't have to give in the offering, and they don't have to support, and I go broke real quick. I'm putting it on the line right now. I'm the one that can gain or lose the most from this message literally right now. Literally, everybody think about this. I literally preach the same message of all these other pastors that look like me, dress like me. Of course, their pants are a little tighter than me, you know, Uh, just a little tease there. But I preach just like them. What does this place look like next week? I get paid more. I get more influence. I get more podcast views. I benefit first, right? But what am I doing? Standing on this small pulpit here today, what am I doing? I'm counting my costs going, I'll be the first one to take a pay cut for this. I'll be the first one to have people leave my world for this. How much more so you, sir? How much more so you, ma'am? During the time of abolition and then during the time of the Jim Crow laws, you know, they kept excluding the black people from business. Do you know that during that time, black people became the most entrepreneurial they've ever had in their history in America? You know why? Because they said, if if you don't want us in your hotel, we're going to start our own hotel. You don't want us uh, at at your restaurant, we're going to start up our own restaurant. You don't want us wearing your hair products and putting our pictures in the magazines, we're going to make our own hair products. It's about time Christians start doing that again. It's about time Christians start having their own hospitals. It's about time Christians start having their own schools. It's about time we start developing our financial independence so that you don't have to be relying upon Babylon for a paycheck. Because Babylon, Apple, Babylon, Google, Babylon, Facebook tells you how to act in their world They tell you how to act when you go to that job because Steve Jobs now had enough, you know, sense to make his money and to get people to follow his vision. Why don't Christians do the same thing? Why can't you invent the next phone? Why can't you invent the next thing? And now we work for you. And a part of what we do on your job for your company is we pray. And we don't force people to join us, but we do it because we want to. Just like they do at Hobby Lobby. And we take off Sundays like they do at Chick-fil-A. Are you guys understanding me? You are not tied to this world system. You have a promise from God. May the spirit of entrepreneurialism set you free. Some of you say, well, I want to be in media and I want to be in entertainment. This is the greatest time to do it. You don't need them. All you need is a studio in your house. All you need is a camera for a YouTube thing. You can get hundreds of millions of views. You could become the greatest influencer of our time. You could make Oprah Winfrey look like Phil Donahue. When she came on the scene, she pimped Phil Donahue so bad, she became the number one person. You can now do that to her voice. You could do that to Ellen's voice. You could shut down their voice in this culture. Not by force, not by unplugging them, not by how they want to war against us, but by simply causing such a mass of momentum that people will not want to listen to them anymore. People will not want to buy their products anymore because yours is better. Yours is quicker to get to their door. Your customer service is better. Do you want power to be a living witness for Jesus? Because that was the spirit. I'm not saying everything we did in America was right. But that was the spirit of the American founders. That's why we started universities in this city. That's why we started businesses in this city. That's why Christians had entrepreneur vision. We've always been that, friend. Do not let them take that from you. So you should have no fear of your job. You should have no fear of what people say about you. And you should be ready for this. Because look at what it says, Acts chapter 2. Go to verse 1, please. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire that separated, and came to rest on each one of them. All of them. How many of them? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. Why were they given the gift of other tongues? It was immediately to start preaching to people with other languages. They were literally preaching in the same city where their Savior had died in. Where Jesus had died in, they are now preaching in. This confuses some people because it was so... It had an emphasis so much on evangelism that some people think every time we speak in tongues, we're going to speak in other people's languages and do evangelism. That's not necessarily true. It is something that can happen, but it's not what needs to happen. What needs to happen is you get power and you have the evidence of new languages, whether they be known languages Or unknown languages. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to tell you a very famous passage. You've probably heard it at every wedding, but you've probably never seen it like this when it came to tongues. But it was actually brought up in a spiritual gift passage by Paul. So turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and I'll show you why there's different kinds of languages. It doesn't matter which ones you get and how often you get them. It just matters you get new Holy Ghost-inspired languages. How many have heard this before at a wedding? If I speak, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels. How many have heard that before? At a wedding, come on. But do not have what? Love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the what? The gift of prophecy. Isn't that amazing at a wedding? They're talking about the boom of power of God and most people don't even know it. People run right through that. Hold on, tongues of men and angels. What is that? What is tongues of men and angels? Well, first of all, you're supposed to use common sense and go, probably in heaven, they're not walking around going, que paso, or hola, hello, or what's up, man? So they're speaking some kind of language, right? Like languages are probably unique to them up there. And then guess what? You're supposed to then think to yourself, even if I have their languages and I prophesy and I speak God's word, but I don't have love, I'm not doing this thing right. But how people read this and miss the whole point, I don't know. It's just that they're blind. The point is you're supposed to do both, speak in tongues of men and language uh, of of angels and of men. You're supposed to prophesy and you're supposed to love. It's not that you just love and forget about the spiritual gifts. You're supposed to have these things and love. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit comes on them. They begin to speak as the Holy Spirit inspires them. Now go to verse 38. Well, go to verse 37 of Acts chapter 2 verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, because they were hearing them preach to them, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. That means by the authority of Jesus, not literally in the name of Jesus. We're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. But the authority comes from the name of Jesus. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. The promise is for who? You and your what? Children and for all who are what? Far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Now everybody watch this. Watch this real quick. I need everybody's attention. We're about ready to stand up and dismiss mothers to get children. But we're going to end in an altar call here. We're going to end with getting boom shakalaka, the power of God, to be living witnesses and martyrs for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 40. Watch it. Is this fulfilling what the prophet Joel would say, had said? Are they saying what they're supposed to say? Because watch this. With many other words, he did what? He did what? He warned them and did what? Pleaded with them. And what did he say to them? Save yourself from this corrupt generation. So what is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of Joel chapter 2? The purpose is that we become living witnesses and warn the world of God's judgment to come. Let's all stand up, please. You all ready to do that? Amen. Adam, would you come, please? Uh, Parents who have children in the back, would you get them and help relieve our children's workers? That makes it easy for us to transition. Those of you who weren't here last week, we're doing some new things in our church because of what we sense God doing in the Holy Spirit. It's new for us. We now overlap first and second. As first is ending now at this altar time, second service people in the lobby will start coming in. And the altar time of first service and the worship of second will overlap. You're welcome to stay as long as you want. Why are we doing it this way? Because what I see God doing in this church starting in the first service, I don't want it to end in the second service and act like it didn't just happen. And now let's start from the beginning. Oh, no, we ain't doing that. It took a lot of work to see the Holy Ghost plane take off here. We're not going to land it and then take it back off again. We're going to bring you up to cruising altitude at 30,000 feet, baby. And those of you who have been with us from takeoff, you're more than welcome to stay as long as you want. Because I want you to get this today. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the endowment of power, is God's promise for everyone here. There is no greater time than to be filled with the Holy Spirit than right now. The reason is, is because we all need it. You need it right now to go through what you're about ready to go through. You will be Pushed and, and violence will be done against your spirit. How many of you feel that the violence of the world is always pushing against you with their worldview, their mindset? How many feel it, the pressure coming against you? That's why the Bible says you're in a spiritual battle. So go back to that passage. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. So you push through the... That which is pushing against you. As I was praying for those up here, you conquer that which is conquering you. Woo, come on, somebody. I'm excited about that. We cannot lay down our swords now, the sword of truth. We must pick it up and say, I stand with God and his word. And you know what's so beautiful about that is that when we look at the book of Acts, they're pleading, they're warning But God is doing the saving, and God is doing the growing. They didn't have to force people. All they had to do was be faithful to get out that message. I was thinking about some of the discussions that I've been in recently. And a lot of people are coming to me and they're saying, I'm so thankful, Pastor, you're saying these things. Because I know these things are true. It's just been hard for me to say it because the world's been pounding me on every side. When I see you say it, Pastor, it gives me courage. Well, where do you think my courage came from? It came from the Holy Spirit. It came from the generations that came before me. Now let me end with this before we start praying. Does the Holy Spirit also bless us with good feelings and joy and and encouragement and um, just being uh, resilient? when You get knocked down, you get back up, breakthrough. Yes. But what's the first purpose of all of that? So we can be his witnesses. So get it. Think of it like this. We come to the hospital to be healed, But then we look around at the hospital and we realize, oh, you brought me to a hospital on a base. (laughs) You brought me to a hospital at a military, you know, camp. Now that I'm healed, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to pick up one of these weapons and run out to, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. Because that which was coming against you, you're supposed to go blow it away now. Think about that. You become a Christian. You know, you're, you're waking up. You know, from being born again. You know, and and your your limbs are getting healed, and you're starting to breathe right again. And you see the nurses there, and you're like, Oh man, I'm so glad to be healed. You know, to be here. And then and then they say, Well, come walk around with us. And all of a sudden, what do you see? You see a F-16 fighter jet or a Raptor. Or you walk over here and you see a tank, and you go, Hold on, man, what's going on? You were saved to go back out into battle. Okay, now watch. That's how we come into Christianity. And then now those of us who have been saved, I've been saved over 20 years. What are we supposed to do when we come here to church or we go to life group or, you know, we're we're fellowshipping with each other in discipleship? How are we supposed to look at it? We're supposed to look at it. We're coming to be poured into. We're coming to be healed from the hurts. We're coming to be restored from whatever's been taken if, if we've been attacked. And then we're going to go out We're going to go out and be like Navy SEALs, go to be in the army of the Lord and bring forth his kingdom. So is the church a hospital or or is it a battleship? Both. It's a battleship with a hospital. Come on. Is the church a family or is the church the bride of Christ dressed in armor with the sword? Both. We're a family of warriors. (laughs) Come on. Come on. Are we just the children of God, just sons and daughters? Or are we kings and priests called to rule and reign? Both. Sons and daughters to our heavenly Father, but kings and queens, rulers to a nation, to a group of people that don't know their left hand from their right. Take the power of God and go into the world and use it. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, as Ephesians even says. Because many of us say we've been filled. And be filled and refilled over and over and over again. And then speak in tongues of angels and speak in tongues of men. Prophesy, have words of wisdom and knowledge, and love and lay down your life for people. That's what Christianity looks like. And if you haven't experienced it yet, as the altar workers come, as the band comes, we're going to open up this altar for two groups of people. After the two groups, anybody comes, please, anybody for any reason. But here are the two groups I want to pray for. Number one, those who want to be born again and accept Jesus today, and you say, I'm giving my whole life to God. Maybe you've done that before and it hasn't stuck with you, or you backslid, as we say in the church, or you've never done it. It doesn't matter. Come today and accept Christ as the Lord of your life. Here's another question. Is God our Father or our King? Both. Come on. He's both. Come receive Jesus as your Lord, the Father as your God, and then guess what? He'll become your King, He'll become your Lord, and then you'll start following Him. That's the first group. Whether you've been saved or never saved, I'm going to call you forward in just a moment. And then the second group is this. If you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whether you've ever received it or you've never received it, but you know today you need a fresh infilling of that power, that's who I want to pray for. Those two groups, those who need to get saved and live like they're saved, and those who need to get filled or refilled. We're going to end first service like that and start second service like that. Could you all get it? Mm We're going to overlap now. Y'all ready? Let's get ready to transition. Father, I thank you today for those who came. I pray now you fill us with the powerful Holy Spirit. I pray those who are not saved or have not been living saved will have the courage to live for you now, Father. I pray that all of us, if some have to go, if some have to leave, that's okay. But, Lord, I pray all of us leave out of here filled with your Spirit. Being Joel's end-time harvest workers, being Jesus's witnesses, living martyrs for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We'll fix that problem. But if you need prayer, come on up as we start to transition from first to second. Feel free to go. Come and go as you like. But let's pray for those who want to receive right now Jesus or a fresh and filling of the Holy Spirit. Come on, let's pray now. Thank you, man.